and we're back welcome back to another practice makes perfect podcast your host here monster deface bringing you guys another episode this week this is episode 35 of the practice server podcast where we talk about all things esports gaming entertainment news and you know just fun topics and stuff we like to cover with a little uh business spin on it our insight as industry professionals um we have as usual john rush on the produce uh, production today pretty much uh, hitting all the switches and making sure things sound good what's up john what's up everybody we enjoyed having panda with us uh while you were out traveling there's no uh replacement for the man himself we're missing connor today because as of this recording it's the debut of the national football league and uh he's uh he's pretty uh, occupied I'm pretty sure his team is losing or something like that, or he wasn't happy. I don't know. Last I saw, it, it seems like it's a pretty tough day. Isn't he like a Steelers fan? What's yeah, going on over there? Yeah, they, they, get, they got slapped. They got slapped. <laughs> well, there you have it. If you are a Steelers fan, I am sorry for you. We, uh, we will have a moment of silence for you at the end of the episode. But today, we get to jump into things and uh, pretty much get all caught up. I want to start this episode off by actually announcing and shouting out and celebrating the fact that Practice Server has launched our very own league. That's right. This is the biggest, I would say, esports tournament endeavor we have ever attempted to tackle. And it's because it's bigger than just a tournament that you show up and play for. This is a project that we are looking to start to reshape the entire gaming industry and how creators participate in leagues across the entire industry. And I do think it's uh, somewhat revolutionary. And John, I'll give you a quick time to react just so the viewers can kind of settle in here. But I want to talk a little bit more about what we're doing and what we're cooking up at Prax. Yeah, I mean, it's been cool watching, watching the uh, different meetings happen. You guys can get some more information um online after this but but truly um i think it's just kind of like uh this is a lull i think a lot of people are saying it in in a lot of things related to gaming content and i'm excited to hear about how practice is going to try to fill some of that gap and 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 bring some excitement uh, to a space that we all love yeah and just to kind of hit on those notes how are we looking to reshape the entire industry well as of right now the way i see it right i have about 10 years in the space experience from professional player up to content creator to professional commentary and now of course working behind the scenes and building activations i've year after year continued to try to pick apart the 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 pieces of this entire industry and apply it to or from the perspective of the creator first because that's where my journey began so my roots are all really built upon uh, this foundation of how do we make it so that the creators, the individuals that help make these events successful, um, how do we make it so that they are taken care of and they have a a better means to a livelihood being a creator? Um, so with that in mind, this league that we created is actually building just that. We are trying to open up new revenue streams and revenue flows from advertisers that come in because up until now, I mean, tournament operators run big events, sponsors come in, and all the money pretty much gets kept within the the league for the profit of the developers and the publishers or the tournament producers, but never the creators that actually come in. It's always, hey, creator, here, here's a, a million-dollar prize pool, but you're only guaranteed it if you go all the way up to the top. And it's kind of unfair because the entire success of the event is built on the skill of those that are participating. 
Equally so, of course, it has to be delivered, right, from the production side and um, everything that goes into weaving in a high-quality event. But I think it's a little unfair that the industry expects so much from creators, whether it be titles, tweets, X, Y, and Z, to make this thing successful, but they are never really and truly rewarded. Um, but that all changes now, at least within a Fortnite space, for what we're building with the Practice Server League. The Content and Chaos League has been officially and formally announced. It is live on Twitter, so you guys can show some love there. I have a bunch of awesome creators that are starting this journey with us. I think for most of them, we shared this information too. On the surface, they're just looking at it. A lot of them, of course, hey, it's another tournament, X, Y, Z, but it's going to be so much more than that, and I hope to be able to really prove that we can do something much cooler when we actually work together. Um, and, and yeah, we, we work as a force as creators and creatives. So that's the practice server league, John. Um, yeah, what do I you mean, think, man, we're trying to, trying yeah, to reshape. Yeah. A couple of things that I remember exciting me hearing, uh, hearing about it in some of the early meetings was, was just trying to kind of mess with the, the formula a little bit of gameplay, you know, so friendly fired, uh, is enabled, um, in this, in this, uh, this Fortnite tournament series and, and instead of just um, teams, there's there's factions, and and so there's just been a lot that have, has gone into trying basically putting into practice um, w w what Monster said about making it something unique. So um, man, I just I just can't wait. I, I think something happens. Um, I think the key word there is chaos. There's something about when a game first comes out that it's just chaos because nobody knows nobody knows what's going on, and anything can happen, and you're discovering what what can happen, and then as games get more uh, uh, formalized, there can be a very beautiful community that gets built, but at the same time, you're like, man, where's the wonder? And I know for for Fortnite, at least, I'm excited to see some wonder again and just see some crazy stuff go down. Yeah, definitely. That's the idea, too. We're trying to just build a, a game mode outside the box on top of the BR experience, but like John said, uh, there is friendly fire. There's huge teams of your favorite creators going head-to-head, -head and you're not going to want to miss it, so tune in. September, I believe 23rd is our finals. I should have this date drilled in my brain, but hold on, I'm opening up the calendar. Um, the CNC finals will be uh, hosted actually on September 30th. We're going to kick things off the 23rd. So September 23rd, as of this recording, will be our qualifier day where uh, players will um, play, participate, teams will then be seated. And then from there, they'll have a chance to be placed on a faction almost like kickball dodgeball style where you get drafted to your team and those teams will be able to choose a place on the map that they're going to be dedicated to so it's almost a fight for territory and then a large-scale battle from there to be the last faction standing on the map it's going to be really really fun we're trying something completely new um and we're doing it just super grassroots so uh tune in with us and check in with us but with that let's start jumping into some of the stuff we want to talk about um Fortnite is great. Fortnite's in an awesome spot, and Fortnite will continue to be in a great spot because there was a little teaser about a new potential game mode, Fortnite Open World, and we're not going to jump too much on that until we see some true leaks. But uh, a game that was hyped up, announced, and launched, John, was actually Starfield. What do you think about the Starfield buzz? Maybe the, the early, I don't know, thoughts? perspectives on the game did it hit did it miss where are we with starfield yeah so starfield is um Bethesda's um first release being owned by microsoft first major release these are of course the the people who created skyrim 
So Skyrim and then uh, and then then Fallout, but really Skyrim. I'm, I I feel like Skyrim is a game that that surpasses culture. You could say Skyrim, and and it's almost like a word that people just kind of like know because it's been in TV shows and and everything like that. But it's been years. It's been years since that. And uh, Starfield is almost like their 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 space version of worlds that are normally contained, um, you know, to to this Earth, uh, and were made without some of the uh, technology they used to make Starfield. So that being said, the game is massive. I mean, the game is huge. There is so much content, so much to do. I think I am I'm 16 hours of gameplay in, and I've done wow. like two quests for the main story, which they say takes 34 hours in and of itself. I, I, some of the things that I love that I think contribute to that is like, you really can't fly anywhere without something happening. Something small like, like you get like uh, attacked by like a pirate ship to like there's there's an invasion down here. Um, yeah, I mean I really like it. The sales speak it up. It's Bethesda's biggest launch. Um, they had two million people uh, is is the estimates of, uh, pre-order with the premium edition, uh, which was depending on how you got it, um, like almost a hundred dollars. And so uh, that's a lot of people buying in. And then it's looking like at launch, um, they, they're reporting 6 million players uh, on Starfield, which it's their biggest game launch of all time. And so I feel like it's been a norm, a pretty positive, positive reception. Yeah, that's crazy. See, I'm kind of confused because I remember, and I don't know if it was Starfield or not, but there was a game on Kickstarter. And I feel like, I feel like it couldn't be Starfield, but there was a game very similar that was galaxy focus uh starships or spaceships and yeah this the same exact premise exploring the unknown um and star citizen star citizen ah see and i bought into that game and that's mm -hmm. why i was like dude where's my key shouldn't it be here by now and then i see star field drop and i'm like all oh, left blinded you know blinded from the outside i'm like wait is this the same game so um i'm curious to see which one's gonna do better all in all it shows us that there's a very niche but huge gap in the market for like you said, that wonder that exists for exploring the galaxy in an open world has just never been tackled before, but the technology now, the server size, the memory of which these games can be built upon, it's getting there. And what better company to do it than Bethesda, right? The, yeah. the, the, the kings of open yeah, world Bethesda. exploration. What was I saying? I think I was saying it wrong. Bethesda. You did. You what said it I so saying? funny. I was going to ask you about it. I said, Dan, that's a, that's a new way to say it. I, I, what I was, was trying I trying to put the syllables. What am I saying? I trying to put man? the syllables together. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. I think I'm going to miss one. But no. Um, yeah, no. Bethesda. Yeah. Star Citizen is still, uh, man, that, that's a whole nother story. But the, the update on that is that they, they have, uh, they've raised six, $600 million to make the game. So. They still got to make the game. Hundred million dollars. Six hundred million dollars. So and this is off the beta. Uh, yeah, yeah. So how long no, is the beta out? No, no release date. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of different, uh, things. Um, I, I never played it. Um, I, I, my biggest uh headline on Star Citizen was that they they crowdfunded two million dollars back in 2012 and then nothing happened about it. But what we'll have, do we'll you think about AAA companies going the it's a beta until it's complete. But they're already a multi-billion dollar company. Like, I feel like there was a point in time where, wow, this is new and revolutionary. Holy crap, you get to play and build with the game. And now it's like, will a game ever come out that's actually complete? <laughs> like, I mean, I think with Starfield, you see why people do that. Because if you look at the majority of Starfield content, it's, it's people highlighting bugs. 
And there's just something that's like negative. Now, Bethesda does have a bad reputation of, they even have some like noted moments, like specifically around Fallout 76, where they had like, where Fallout 4 had a bad launch and then coming into Fallout 76, they had like a dev look in the camera and say, it just works. Like it's like a meme, you know? <laughs> and and so it, it's frustrating seeing people just nitpick Starfield because reality is I have not, I have not experienced many bugs. Um, and, uh, I just, people just have a high standard on games, man. I don't know. It's weird. Like uh, maybe it's just because of how passionate we are, but I, I guess I don't blame game companies, but yeah, I'm like, come on, get it right. I mean, I would love to know more, you know, I w we need to make more game development friends. I would just love to mo <laughs> know more why games flop. Like why did new world flop? You know, why did, is world of Warcraft but, but stuck? Why did see, Halo that's, that's flop? interesting though. Like I think flop or like failure definitely in the eye of the beholder because True. what what was an explosive for sure new world uh new world is a great example of explosive growth hard crash like straight down to the bottom we figured out the things that were wrong with it they couldn't fix them fast enough and yeah. then again they had like dlcs almost pre-firing before the, the game really got to settle right instead of uh, releasing them as as major patches so there, there's something there, but then the game picked back up. The the seasons have continued to refoster a community. It probably won't ever be what it was before, but yeah, like I said, we start to measure success a little differently when you have thirty thousand concurrent players. I mean, you're kind of crushing it. Um, all in all, well, and same for Starfield. Regardless of people's opinions, I mean, six million sales. Oh yeah, I mean, they already sold the game. Done. And and I'm one of the people. I'm I'm curious to see. I was looking for numbers on this, but. I don't. I think it's probably hard to track, um, but they had it on Game Pass, and so this was the first, as far as I'm concerned, like huge AAA release that you could access just by subscribing to Xbox Game Pass. I play on PC, but obviously you can do it that way, and um, I just think that's very interesting. And just seeing Microsoft play the long game of subscriptions, and the good thing about subscriptions that I'm excited about is that this could open up a world where some smaller indie developers. You know get a get a look because you're like well i'm i got this game pass might as well use it just like i think there's a lot of shows that because of netflix and subscription models probably get looks that maybe wouldn't otherwise before i mean fall guys among us a lot of these free to play games that then got popular and had skin models obviously went nuclear right and they had extreme success fortnite can be you know, theoretically put in that conversation as well, although the game was paid to play at first. Um, eventually, they almost pioneered that, hey, yeah, a free-to-play model can totally turn into a very successful business model. So uh, cool stuff happening with Starfield. Uh, I mean, you kind of intrigued me. I, I didn't realize this is the Bethesda game. I, I really thought it was that Kickstarter one, so I didn't no. even download it. I was just, like, I didn't search it up. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I remember, like, I literally put, like, 100 bucks in for that early beta key. Let's see what happens with it. I guess I got scammed. Because, oh, like you said, literally nothing has come from that game. Um, not the first time. I also put five hundred dollars into Astros of Creation. I was so excited for it, like AOC five years ago. AOC will come out. Though. They're still working on it, so yeah. I feel good about that. But still, doesn't feel good to, uh, yeah, put all that money in, especially back then. I barely yeah. had it. But Starfield is a great game. I mean, I think it's a single player game that you can just kick kick your feet back. You play an hour. You can play two hours. Um, I'm not one to necessarily sink four hours into a single player game in one sitting. Is the interface similar to Elder uh, Very Elder much Scrolls? So. so for like, me, for like me, you could pause it almost like 
whenever you want. Yeah, combat's not the like turn style, like the slow mo thing. Really, mm -hmm. combat feels a lot more just like fluid FPS or third person, depending on your zooms. Uh, ship ship fighting is fun. You know, Doc. You know, this is this is the other thing. Like, so I'm watching Doctor Disrespect's uh content about it, and it's a lot of meme content. You know, but I'm also just like, who's gonna watch Doc just like calmly successfully playing a rich single player story game? You know, like I. I even I was talking to one of my friends who's a Twitch partner and he's trying to figure out how to stream the game. And I'm just trying to be like, why would I watch someone stream a single player game that I can just experience for myself? And I'm like, you'd have to do something that I wouldn't be doing in my playthrough. So I'm like, dude, you might just need to go Grand Theft Auto and just kill everyone, you know? So, yeah. so I think some of the, the, the press coverage is almost like slanted negative because otherwise who's going to just watch, you know, the cool stuff and it not be a spoiler. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, to counter that argument though, Elden Ring, which is a you know largely single player experience, it does have its um, online invasions and, and multiplayer. But I mean that that can be argued too. It's a, it's an open world single player experience. If you play it, you are spoiling the story for yourself. But it can be played so many different ways, right? And yeah, because of the difficulty of the game, people were I think you know again gravitating towards watching good players play that game. Yeah, when something like Starfield, Bethesda. Um, even like you mentioned, Elder, uh, Elder Scrolls, it never had the, oh, this game's so hard to play, right? Like, yeah. it's just more, like you said, very casual, very welcoming. Wh um, which is, I mean, I think that that is that, the big... that puts a ceiling on it, I think, from the viewing perspective. I think it does put a ceiling yeah, on it. Yeah, because Elden, Elden Ring, at a certain point, you stopped caring about um, the, the story and you were watching the, the skill. And Starfield is just not one of those games where... It, it, it seems about the the skill, you know. I mean, fit, it's been it's solid right now. It's just under fifty k uh, people streaming it on Twitch. It's been in the top like fifteen in the category though, so so pretty decent. Um, but I, I I'm enjoying it. I think it's a great. It, it almost uh, it just feels right. Like I'm like it's good that I have like a single player game in my back pocket just to play when my friends aren't on. Sometimes that messes up my social schedule where I'm like I can play but my friends can't, and then I end up staying up till two because. That's when the boys are on and not every week I can do that, you know? So th th this has been fun. Right. Uh, experience I had like that was uh, Detroit Becoming Human. Detroit oh, yeah. Becoming Human. Very sick. Just single player, such an experience. Played it with the family. We loved it. Uh, but yeah, talking about games and, and just entertainment phenomena is happening right here. We want to jump in and, and kind of switch gears. This is something we haven't really chatted about, but I thought this would be a pretty interesting topic. Uh, John, you brought to the table Gran Turismo, the game was transformed into the movie but because there was like a real life crazy story that happened which is the premise of the actual movie explain to the viewers if they've never heard of maybe the game Gran Turismo or more importantly this movie that was released yeah I mean Gran Turismo is like one of the original like racing games and really like centers around like crazy cars and Formula One racing which is is, is starting to become more popular in the states um, what's normally been popular here is, you know, like monster trucks and NASCAR. Uh, but formula one is huge over in Europe and it's starting to pick up, you know, here. And, um, so the, the story is that Jan Martinborough, who is one of like, is real life races, uh, for, uh, Nissan. Um, he's like one of the best formula one racers of all time, you know, look him up. And uh, he's 32 now, but back in the early 2000s, uh, they started this program where they were trying to, they allowed gamers from the game Gran Turismo to essentially online try to uh, 
win themselves through a bracket to earn them a spot to come do some in-person training and eventually get a shot to becoming uh, a real racer. And Jan Martinborough was the third winner and he was the youngest and really the main, uh, uh, the main person that went from esports to now is one of the best drivers ever. And so he was, uh, uh, in 2011, uh, he won the GT, it was called the GT Grand Turismo Academy competition. And he faced off against 90,000 people. And so, and now he's still like a professional racer. And so they made a movie kind of telling his story. I think this, I think this kind of shows us, John, that you could take any niche of a a very incredible story and turn it into something and get people to either watch it or make sales on it. But, you know, not all, not all of them are going to hit, right? This movie in particular Maybe not the biggest uh, as far as the numbers go in the sales. Uh, I'm not sure what the budget put in versus what they've made out of it, but it kind of takes me towards um, it, just a crazy example. Think about the the guy that made Facebook had a movie built about him, The yeah. Social Network. Before they Facebook built that movie, was even that big but, comparatively. Right, right. And, and think about it. They built that movie with $40 million, and they made $220 million plus dollars on it. Right. So that's so niche. Who wants to watch a story about some social guy? Right. No one knows. And then this week, though, which I really want to bring up uh, the the manga and anime story, the one piece, which has been running for closer to, I don't know, well over a decade, I think close to 20 years. Oda is the author. He has been writing this um, this wonderful anime and manga. That's one of the largest considered top three of all time as far as uh, revenue generated. They just created a live action show for it and it became i believe the number one rated show across like 44 or like 60 countries or something crazy but basically they broke netflix uh netflix records for how many countries are uh rating this show as the number one entertainment thing to watch on uh netflix in general yeah one uh, piece, dude yeah no it looks i've been i've been seeing people uh talking about it didn't they also adapt it which was it was a big risk right they adapted it live action even that's even more of kind of a risk stylistically um yeah gran turismo had a budget of 60 million dollars and so far the box office uh they brought in uh 93 and a half a million um and it, it really it came out it came out earlier this summer you know it came out all the way back in july it's just um, I don't feel like it's, I've seen anyone posting about it, which made me beg the question. It made me think of the World of Warcraft movie. It made me think of the Halo series. Um, I, 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 I feel as if the only successful piece of like uh, movie or TV show video game content was that League of Legends piece that we covered you know, last year. But I, th- I think the problem is I feel like people tried to make gaming movies for non-gamers. It's like they try to be like, here's a chance to like loop people into this. And I'm like, I just, I just don't think that's ever going to sell. I, I, I think gamers want to know about their game. They don't want it like uh, a water. I have not seen the film, uh, but it just it is not doing as well as like, you know, I think they expected. And I think that's one of the reasons why is, is people try to make, make it for non-gamers. Yeah, well, this One Piece show definitely has hit. Um, I was way off. I said 40 to 60 countries. It's actually 84 countries. It exceeded the previous records set by Stranger Things Whoa. season four. To, to, to give you guys the scope, like everyone knows what Stranger Things is. And everyone knows what One Piece is if you're into anime. Yeah. So it's so crazy how this like extremely niche market 
was able to translate and they they are uh hailing the one piece live action adaption um almost the holy grail of finally uh anime was done justice as a live action version and i watched it i can definitely say i think we're all just like mega dweeb fans and <laughs> we're giving it more credit than what it's what it's worth but it was good it was good though but, but that but when you're a mega fan you're no you're you know you ignore some things right no but that but i think you maybe even just like displayed one of the psyches that i'm talking about so like make stuff for fans because we go crazy we will overlook and then i think when you make stuff exactly. for fans what that so so now i'm not a i'm not an anime i've not really dipped in a uh into uh anime but because you as a fan love it so much and it's this huge thing now it makes me go wait what am i missing out on and i think that sometimes while trying to hit a bigger target people water it down for the fans but i'm like i think the way you actually hit a wider uh, audience is just nail it for the crazies and people go dang bro th there's something to this that, I, if I think the crazies love it why do the crazies love it now i want to know and that's that level of intrigue exactly that's exactly that's exactly what i think most products should do um mm -hmm. it, this is a little bit off the tangent it, it's but it's product related um there was a seminar given um the the person that created apple was it Steve Jobs. Yeah. He says something very interesting. They talked about how and you know what thought process you put into making the Apple product. And he literally said that. He said, We built this thing for one person. Like, and it was their test subject, basically. And they just kept making it like almost for this very, very, very small group of test people that were testing the product. And that in turn made it so other people wanted to use it too. It's it's almost counterintuitive, is what he was trying to explain. Like you don't you don't build a product that you know sells billions of dollars worth of revenue that is uh, widely uh, you know used across the entire country because you build it for them. No, you build it or you get there because you mm. built it for this one very particular individual. Yo. Like and it was, that was so fascinating how yeah. he said that. And I was like, "Yo, that's crazy." Yeah. But one piece did the same thing because in there there's so many easter eggs. And like if you're a mega fan, you'll look at the table and be like, "Yo, that newspaper is, you know, about XYZ. Holy crap, that's pretty cool. Like that person's in the manga, right? Like or whatever, the manga." And you start to really get that again, you get to nerd out. So yeah, yeah, super cool. I think I think we both just learned something. We just put that into a concept for ourselves. Well, just you know, because you know, y'all know we love giving a little business flex. This is for the leaders and the leaners and the learners out there. But but there's this principle that Seth Godin is a great marketing guy. He's he's very much so into books and blogs. Purposely stays off social media, but he's got a lot of podcasts. Just, I think you'd love him, Monster. You've probably seen some of his stuff. But he has this principle that I think describes exactly what you just said. He calls it the smallest viable audience. Which he's saying when you're starting something, he goes. What is the smallest amount of people of paying people you need to sustainably do what you love to do? And he goes, start with that because that will give you a baseline of paying customers. Uh, and then he goes, also, you might realize that's all you want to do. So he like references how like some of the best restaurants in New York only have 14 seats. He's like, that's what they want to do. Um, and then he also, he also says there's confidence that comes when you know that you have 20 like fanatic fans. And so I'm like, I just think, even with content, bro, like when you when you build that base and you, and you make that money, I think it takes off from there.
Yeah, super cool. Well, look, that was a, a whole spiel we went on. Uh, just <laughs> jumping on some of the entertainment and uh, gaming crossovers that are happening nowadays. Really cool. We're just living in the interesting time where technology, uh, whether it be the gaming space with Starfield, or of course, like we talked about this live action adaptation, graphics and cinematography, like all this technology is really starting to um, continue to elevate. And we're in a really cool time, uh, I think, in our lives where we get to experience it uh, kind of on the forefront. It can be scary if you think too far deep with AI and all that stuff, but it can also be pretty pretty nice if you just take it chill and, you know, do, do one little thing at a time there. Absolutely. Yeah, um, re- recently the YouTuber's been doing some cool stuff over there with the, uh, the Sidemen charity match. You see that? Dude, I so... I show speed is like the one of the biggest creators in the world. You put him and KSI on any roster together and it is all over my timeline. Yeah, and I didn't honestly what's so funny is as big as uh, Mr. Beast is holistically, those guys dominate my algorithm as well. I didn't even know Mr. Beast was involved until after the fact. Oh, I didn't I didn't see anyone talking about Mr. Beast. Isn't it isn't that kind of interesting how the media outlets will like pick and choose who generates them the most, you know, clicks. And yep. when you have that lineup, Mr. Beast is not the most controversial amongst the folks. So it's like, I show speed comes first and he's like everywhere. Right. Because of his yep. bubbling young personality. Yeah. So this was really cool. It's something that we've seen before in the space and, and that they've been a part of, um, you know, uh, streamers doing, you know, essentially soccer matches. And this one was wild because uh, they sold out, uh, the stadium uh, at the London that they they, they were in uh, over 62,000 people um, tickets sold out within hours they had to get a new venue um, when they had sold out their original 30,000 um, and then they raised over two and a half million uh, dollars crazy or pounds sorry euros euros so I don't even know what that, that that's, that's probably, even more that's dollars. probably a billion dollars at this point <laughs> <laughs> inflation sucks uh yeah dude and, and the numbers are ridiculous i'm looking here screenshots that were taken 2.3 million live concurrence at you know give or take at some point or another outside of the 62,000 fans that were in attendance it's it's just a phenomenal spectacle and also a, histor- a historical day for creators at, at scale or events at scale, right? Um, you said something about this was one of the biggest events ever hosted. Yeah, so I was just doing some different research and uh, this uh, article on the Daily Star uh, from, from the UK um, uh, highlights in this article how uh, they would be the third largest club in the Premier League based off of their, their crowd. So only two other Premier League, which is like you know the NFL, the NBA, the big dogs of... And honestly, Premier League soccer is is my understanding. It's, 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 big, it's bigger. <laughs> it's bigger than yeah. the NBA and the NFL. And based yeah. off of their their crowd, they would have been the the third largest club in Premier League um, by packing out the London Stadium. And uh, that is just wild to to think of the in person impact of 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 these online personalities. Yeah, I don't know enough about uh, soccer, football, but, you know, I guess of those top three, it's got to be up there with, like, Man City or, you know, one of those crazy globally recognized uh, soccer teams. Um, yeah, to, to, to have that much influence and gather that many people is something that is incredible. And this only happens 
um, when you put some of the biggest names together. And we've been seeing this more and more. And it's not just the English fan base or the English speaking fan bases. It's also the other communities. The French community is insane. They've done their own fair share of big activations, as have the Spanish communities. But just this weekend as well, France's biggest YouTuber, Squeezy, hosted his own F4 event on Twitch with 24 creators and streamers driving uh, alongside F1 drivers and celebrities in attendance. And they also sold 60,000 tickets to uh, his community, a, a French-speaking community. Absolutely incredible. Now, that was not a charity event. So somebody banked out. Hopefully someone cashed out very nicely. Um, yeah, put together for the 24 creators. Uh, dude, 60,000 tickets as well sold for another creator this weekend. Yeah, you know, that there's, a, there's something. I've been listening to this theme come up in a lot of podcasts. I saw, I think it was Rain Wilson from The Office was on Theo Vaughn's podcast, and uh, he has a new book out, I guess, uh, Rain Wilson from The Office. And they were talking about how AI will affect content and comedy. And I've heard this from a couple different people recently is that essentially going like, well, hey, like if AI can just replicate every person or videos, like what's the future of content? And, and they said live. Because when you're looking at a person live, you know, you, you know it's not fake. And so I think mm. that, I think the future, there's a, there's an element where our digital world, it, the pendulum might swing back. And I, maybe these creators are doing a very wise thing by carving out a space to almost uh, remind the world, hey, there are things that, that, we, that we bring that no replication of ourselves or no thumbnail or even with React content. There's all these ways that people could essentially be profiting off of these, these content creators' likelihood, uh, likeness. And they're saying, nah, live events, when you're in the room, th there's nothing like it. Yeah, it's the the mystery, the unknown. It's knowing that it's authentic, right? And that's kind of the buy-in. But like you said, it's a pendulum with the way content's been working. Yeah, recorded, online media, um, AI technology literally replicating and uh, producing even music. There are AI-generated music, successful songs that are being nominated for Grammys. And their argument here is a person wrote those lyrics and a person made that song. So it is eligible that's a whole conversation we're gonna have to figure out uh where that goes but also there was this i think negative article pressed about how um influencers were taking virtual meetings where it was super like black mirror but a, a huge think of it as a i don't know a pod that had their favorite influencer on a chair just kind of there and I think that person was live in a studio somewhere, but fans were able to just walk up and get those couple mo uh, minutes or moments and talk to basically the screen. And the other person was in a studio set responding, but it was still live. Yeah. But it was weird because it was in person. You had to pay for it. So very, um, I don't know. I don't know if dystopian is the word, but yeah. it's very, very different. I, I think, I think I, I haven't really heard people talk about this. I think one of the most positive and exciting, uh, contributions of AI, not that we plan on talking about this, but is, is video games. I mean, just imagine what AI can do in a game to constantly give you more content, new and ever evolving content to, to fight hackers, all that stuff. Dude, I was, I was literally thinking that when Baldur's Gate 3 has such a successful launch mm. and everyone was talking about, bro, the possibilities are endless. If you want to try to do something in the game, there, I forgot what creator was talking about it. It was either um, Soda Poppin or some other mega creator. It might have been Shroud, actually. Mm. Shroud was like, dude, 
I play Baldur's Great. This is one of the best games of the last decade. Highly praise it. And he said that of all the all the things he tried to do in the game, he said there was only maybe two instances where uh, a strategy or a path that he wanted to take wasn't accessible. There was a limitation there. But of he said he was trying to like break the game. Like, oh, I'm gonna try to kill that and see what happens. And it did something. It triggered something in the game. Or I'm gonna wear this thing and it, whatever. I'm not gonna get into the details of the game. But he was doing all types of stuff. And the game itself was intricately woven to the point to where you can literally take the story anywhere you want it. That's without AI technology working in real time. So yeah, I think AI in gaming is already in development for sure. It's probably moments away. Yeah, from, I mean, like um, can, being the new thing. Can AI? I mean, imagine AI, you download it to your PC and AI, not only in the moment, but consistently optimizes your hardware to be working for the current game. Because, you know, it's like, I, you know, I know AI isn't some like magic wand, but essentially we know what it is. It, it's, it's software. It's essentially software that can just generate. And I think ChatGPT and what we've seen with imaging are giving people the visuals of what AI is capable of. Where you're like, oh my mm. gosh, if you can type in, you can type in like this this image, you know, I, I, I did an Instagram post a few months ago. I designed a, a shirt for one of my friends using one of the, the centerpieces was an AI. I can't draw. And I'm like, I want a Victorian uh, painting style, white horse breathing fire. And it gave me now I took it into Photoshop and I edged out the hooves and I moved stuff around and I put the text on it. So I, I feel as if I really made it my own. But but at the end of the day, it was a very helpful tool. That's pretty sick, but yeah, man. So it's I, like I said, the future is crazy. Um, the keys, we, we just don't know where it's gonna go. We really don't. When AI starts meeting the world of gaming, uh, these places that we call metaverses, like Fortnite and Minecraft and Roblox and all these real experiences, I mean, they are just gonna continue to go to uh, new, new places, new elevated uh, places that we've never seen before. Um, shoot, maybe even Meta will actually make a comeback one day uh, when Dang. they figure out what they're going to do with the AI stuff. Well, good on the Sidemen Soccer Charity and, and what they're doing. It's really cool to see what those guys will do with in-person events and as they pack out. Uh, you know, that, I mean, I think esports orgs have a lot to learn from, um, you know, packing out arenas. You know, I think if there's some kind of, uh, if there's some kind of, um, Partnership there, you know, esports really is at its best. I think when uh, in-person events are are a part of the equation, and when you've got an arena full of people at an in-person event, I mean, it really it really brings it all together. So I, I think that's a I hope that that that's something down the road as well. Yeah, we would have to see how, like you said, um, I think a lot of esports teams and organizations have already taken the initiative and understand the strengths of okay, here's what YouTube has to offer me and showing the life of our gamers and creators. But none of them have really taken it to that level where, hey, let's throw a soccer spectacle for our fans, right? Like just, just wild, crazy stuff like that. And if you saw or if you see what's happening today with iShow Speed, KSI, Mr. Beast, and these, these massive gatherings, think about what that could have been like for a TSM when they had Prime, Myth, Daquan, Hamlins, right? And they were really thinking outside the box. They could have easily done ridiculous venue fillouts and... Like you, they literally had globally recognizable talent on their esports team and did nothing with it to really connect their fan base to not only their brand but the creators. Really connect that. Um, and I think it is a matter of time before a org 
steps up and really figures it out. Like not even FaZe has really done that. They've done a few with like the pop-up shops and, you know, we've kind of seen glimpses and moments of greatness, but I mean, we all see how the narrative has almost flipped upside its head recently with their stocks going below, I believe the 20 cent mark or something crazy like that. And I mean, we could just talk about yeah, the phase, I guess. <laughs> There's so much going on there at all times. Uh, we've been keeping a pulse on them lately. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a great example. It's fascinating to think about. You're right. You know, the missed opportunities there. Um, I think I think it's just, I think that we, we took it for granted. I don't think any of us, I think whenever something rises uh, that uh, fast, I think it's that you can easily take, take it for granted. But I think, man, if those people could go back in time, they would have realized they have lightning in a bottle and they could have printed money uh, with some of those creators. And uh, uh, not, not as clear, though, what, what FaZe Clan has gotten wrong. Um, despite their low stock prices, the lowest it's ever been, um, they just signed a big creator, uh, Your Rage. Um, and so he, he's, he plays titles like uh, CSGO, NBA 2K, Grand Theft Auto, Valorant, Street Fighter, etc., etc. I don't really tap into his stuff, um, but, uh, you know, he's, he, he's a big deal. And um, he's got like about 5 million followers across all um, uh, all of his platforms. Uh, the most, honestly, in my opinion, the most newsworthy aspect of that, though, is that kind of in response to the stocks and the Your Rage signing, Phase Rain is at his uh, his uh, voodoo magic again, kind of predicting the future with Phase, where we don't know, is this insider information? Is this projection? Is this hacks? Is it leaks? You know, and he says a phase merger is coming, meaning that phase would find some other company to become a part of um, the way that I saw it, Monster, the way that I think it would actually be the most beneficial is if a company like uh, Microsoft or some longstanding company who wanted an out a forward facing uh, brand um, needed personalities and a, and a notable brand would would buy them out and kind of maintain phase. Um, as an arm of what they do but but what do you think he means by phase merger i mean i it's kind of interesting right because we've seen companies be acquired like large-scale companies be acquired uh, most recently the saudi-backed governments basically purchased all of esl for several hundreds of millions of dollars as part of their i don't know a uh, uh, take on trying to appeal to the Western audiences and build some kind of global footprint in esports and and bring more tourism towards the Middle East, and then they purchased esports engine right after that for a lot of money too. So that like it was like like you said, building the arm. We also saw in 2021, um, Game Square Esports, a Canada-based esports company, purchased the competitive gaming organization Team Complexity, which at the time Team Complexity was valued as one of the you know, top five orgs in the space alongside the TSNs, Team Liquids, etc., up there with the greats. And they bought that company for $27 million. But the problem with FaZe and where FaZe put themselves right now in today's climate is they value themselves at a billion dollars. And then they went public as a stock being worth, let's just call it a billion dollars worth of shares. And now all those shares have plummeted. All that value that your company had that artificial value that your company had is worth nothing because there's a literal dollar attached per share to what your company is worth and all your finances are on on public display and everything you do is now scrutinized so that's the problem with phase they 
have almost plummeted the value of their company. And now they're seen in this super negative, you know, uh, uh, light basically. And yeah. who's going to want to buy that. And if you do buy that, how do you turn that around now? Yeah. Um, you know, signing new players when your, your company finances are all public and literally shows that you are operating so far in the negative is, is, it's all questionable. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the path forward is. I was watching the a ALGS, the Apex Legend, uh, you know, championship series, and, you know, Snipe Down is uh, one of FaZe's, um, uh, you know, players, and I've been following him since the Halo days, and it gave me that, like, I was like, oh, am I pulling for FaZe right now? I'm like, no, I'm pulling for Snipe Down. But it's like, that's a player like that keeps me involved. You know, like, I like Nate Hill. It's just so complicated with uh, maybe do you also think maybe they just signed too many people that the, the brand is diluted because you have this wide. There's just so many people. And even one of the things I'm confused by is how many people like phase rain who are publicly like not for phase are still going by phase in their name. It's like the brand. I just think the, yeah. the brand has so many personalities. It, it's very diluted. In another business sense, you know, you get, um, wait, I want to hear your thoughts. Then I have a parallel that I saw in, in social media. Oh, yeah. The way I see it, it, it's you're in a very weird position when your literal founders have almost turned their backs against the brand um, publicly, right? And, and you know, that that's never going to set you up for success. But also, I think this is a problem of most brands face when you build a company and it's surrounded and led by true influencers and the success comes from the backs of these individuals hard work and talent and skill and then it culminates under a team you 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 almost can never replace those faces and if you get to the point to where you can't you are one of the very lucky few it's like any good show or movie or whatever your lead actor bro once he goes or he outgrows the you know the the position or I don't know, the new Flash show comes out and they, they cast the new Spider-Man or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to hit hit the nail on the head. It's hard to find yeah. a new Spider-Man, bro. People are just going to love the original one from 2000 that you freaking love, Tobey Maguire, whatever, right? It, it's, it's, it's almost like that. So FaZe kind of faced this same exact crisis, in my opinion, where like, it's even worse though. The founders are no longer the faces of the brand and the people they brought in to be the faces are definitely not it, right? They're not as accepted. And then the founders turned against the brand, which is like a double whammy. So yeah, it's in a, it's in a worse spot. I don't think it's uh, in a spot that it's ever going to be able to crawl out of unless they give the company back to them. But even that, like, why would they do that? Right. We already talked about this in the past where like they bought this company, it's theirs to do what they want with it. Um, and I mean, yeah, might as well sell it, I guess. Well, I mean, something that interesting happened with mergers is I don't know if you have read this this summer, but Barstool, which is a huge online conglomerate, just was sold back to its founder for $1. And so Penn Entertainment bought Barstool several years ago to basically turn them into their sports gambling uh, flagship. Uh, due to their content guidelines, um, a Barstool, they're a little raunchy. They're not always the most uh, politically correct. You know, they're very like, you know, out there. It's like gross guys in sports, you know, very stereotypical. It's what they are. And they maintain to be that there were a lot of people who in the gambling world were like, we're not going to give you the licenses and all these things to work with it. So they were basically this parent company was like, yo, and then this parent company got an offer from ESPN say, Hey, we'll work with you. 
ESPN says drop Barstool. So anyway, they go, well, we're, it's going to be a $400 million bat. That's how much they, they bought it for. But we're going to make up so many more billions with ESPN. So I don't know. I don't think that, I don't think that FaZe maybe is in that realm yet. Barstool, at the time, at its peak, maybe, I, maybe I'm ignorant, but I don't feel like it was bigger than FaZe. So I don't know. But then the question is, do they have the leadership within themselves to actually bring it back together? That's where I don't know. Because I'm or like, the drive or the, the want to even do that, right? They're all successful. They're still young. These are people that are in their, some of them are not even in their 30s, you know, uh, just really entering into earlier or later stages of adulthood. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. I don't think they will have the chance to buy back the company for a dollar. I can, I can, <laughs> I can say that. Yeah. I, I genuinely think the, the people that own it are going to be spiteful to the, uh, to the dollar. And they're gonna sink this ship because they've they've been riding it down to the bottom of the sea already. Uh, talking about remember remember the whole controversy that actually did happen between Phase Rain and that female from was oh yeah wasn't she on the Stranger Things the yeah. the actor uh-huh. Sophia um, what's it yeah I can't remember the last name. well yeah. she she actually was um, just recently. Uh, covered on, on another article that says she left her old media agency. So not only is she no longer with FaZe, like for sure, but she also dropped a media agency that was representing her at that time. So something went terribly wrong in the discussions and she probably didn't feel like she was um, defended after or her best wishes weren't taken care of there afterwards. And she actually left that agency completely and she signed with a completely new entity. So I, I, yeah, I think, I think for you. content creators, I think the thing to do is you you stay in your lane. You do your thing. You get a good agent. You build a team around you. And then you do collaborations like we saw with Sidemen. Mr. Beast is his own man. Even Cypher yep. PK. Bro, I'm like, every time I check in what what's PK is doing with his gaming, uh, Omni or what's it called? Omni, right? Yeah, uh, Oni Studios. Oni, Oni. They're like hiring. Super Joy. They're like, yeah, they're hiring game devs now. And I'm like, whoa. Every, this man's playing checkers. Everyone's playing chess. Everyone... So many of the people that were that were his peers, they're like making thumbnails. Freaking Cypher is like hiring game developers. I'm like, what? Yeah. But he stayed he's in C- his lane. Cypher's smart, man. He's following the money. He He's making good money. And he got to the point to where he was so successful that he was able to really invest in himself. And he continues to take those risks. And he continues to take those risks. And yeah. they continue to pay off for him. So... He is deserving of all his victories as of late. Um, we actually just talked about it on the Fortnite podcast about how uh, Cypher got into a little bit of a fight against some of the creatives in the creative Fortnite space because there are people stealing his maps and his thumbnails one for one. And there's a whole like, yeah, it's just a super dirty game being played in the uh, Fortnite space because it's not moderated very well. And hopefully Fortnite will crack down on it because no one should be stealing from other creatives right and there's no way to copyright claim this stuff back so see i think i feel like that's the conversation that gets buried when people talk about react content like you know what i mean like what needs to be talked about is stolen content that that's what's happening and i don't think i think a lot of react content is not that but there's a lot of people who are who are 100 um just ripping like that yeah yep well we see it all the time so Anyways, guys, a couple quick hits here to just go ahead as we clean house here and close up on our topics. Uh, John, 
Mr. Donald Mustard has officially decided to retire come the end of this month here, September, as or from the creative director role at Fortnite. He was the lead visionary behind what Fortnite became as a meta and the merging of the universes, Marvel, all that crazy stuff. I mean, you saw the stories. Like, he went to college with some of these folks. Um, really fascinating stuff, but he will no longer be on the Fortnite team. Yeah, what a, uh, what a legend, too. Um, and a good name, Donald Mustard, bro. Let's freaking <laughs> go, man. Yeah, very, very memorable uh, name indeed. I feel like, although he's leaving, and people are going to blame whatever happens to the game's story for the next years to come on him not being there, I do mm -hmm. feel like that the game has already or the story has already been decided for the next several years, whatever his vision is. He just won't be there to develop any further than that. So if something happens within the Fortnite universe that you don't like next year or two years or maybe even three years from now, I still think that it will be his vision being built out um, because there's no way you let someone go like that and don't ask of them to put that roadmap down. So they are laying down the foundation for the continued success of the game and the you know, the years to come with the game. So is this, is this, is this like when Steve Jobs passed away, how people viewed Apple, where it was kind of like, it's like as soon as Steve Jobs was not in the mix, everyone, it felt like everyone just questioned everything. You blame me. Like, who, who, who made AirPods? Why? But maybe he did. Maybe that was like his vision, yeah. part of his vision all along. Like, dude, yeah, there's no wires. Forget those. And we're going to make the charger ports proprietary to Fortnite us. Fortnite change? It's a great To question. make your life harder. <laughs> what, what, um... Is he doing anything else or is he like retiring, retiring? I don't know, man. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't heard much about it. Um, I mean, the only person that is extremely vocal uh, as far as the, the higher upper echelon of folks that sit at the seats at Epic is Tim Sweeney. He's constantly stirring up the battle against Apple and, and the entire world of a big business. So he hasn't said anything from, from my understanding about Donald Mustard leaving, but Donald Mustard just basically made his announcement. And then that's kind of where we're at right now. But like I said, knowing Epic Games, knowing this, like who he is, and and you know what he's built into the game, and the and the, the sweat equity he's put into Epic, um, I'm sure he's gonna retire, uh, wonderfully, uh, uh, rich because he probably owns a boatload of shares still in Epic Games, so he could do whatever he wants with those. Um, yeah, the company's still worth multiple billions of dollars. Like he's leaving at a, I'd say the peak. Like a peak for himself, peak in his career. He's built so much. He's got a mil almost of. a million and a half followers on Twitter. How many Insane. game developers have that kind of social footprint? Check, check the, the. We always love when is it Todd that comes on for Bethesda every E3. I can't remember his name. Normally, I can remember. He's also very, very popular. Or maybe even Hideo Kojima for like, uh, yeah, Todd Howard, Konami, Todd Howard, you Todd mean? Howard. Yeah. yeah, what are these guys' followings? That would be a great way to compare. Like, yeah. look at Fortnite guru Donald Mustard's yeah. creative vision, one million plus, and then look at like Elden or Elder Scrolls, right? The, the one of the greatest games of the the last twenty years ever developed. Um, who was now rivaled with the open world of Fortnite, right? These, they, these things don't come often. They come once a decade. What is his following? Yeah, I don't, so he, I don't think he, Todd Howard has He doesn't a, even have a next. A he doesn't have yeah, a Twitter. No. no Look at that. Uh, There's a time before him. What about uh, Hideo Kojima? He got to have some kind of media rep holding his stuff down. H-I-D-E-O Kojima. H, 
H I D E O. Got him. I think so. Um, yeah. Hideo. Let me see. Dude, that was really good. You're, he's Japanese. Oh, his glasses are so fire, bro. Yeah. Hideo um, Kojima okay, video so, game designer. How many follows he's got? Yeah, he he wins. He got he got three Hideo? and a half mil. Dang. Okay. But, well, that but, shows you he's been in the game. He's been in the game, and and I still think that most of America does not understand the Asian market, bro. Like mm, there's so the Asian market is different. Millions of dollars because there's just genuinely billions of people um, who, who well, are out there. We're gonna stamp it here. If you don't have at least a million followers and you're the guy that made the game, then you didn't quite make it just yet. Not to this level. You can't jump into the goaded top five conversation, all right? Because yeah. we're gonna put Fortnite up there. Um, but yeah, no, look, crazy, uh, <laughs> crazy comparison to make. But I think it's a, I think it's a worthy one to really show the magnitude of which, uh, you know, the fandom crosses over like that. That again transcends gaming. Start becoming fans of the devs, or maybe you are so fueled with anger that you want to go complain about the update but that also shows that you're emotionally invested in the game so to be emotionally invested in any experience um i think makes the case that this is a metaverse it is a universe that you uh you care about so absolutely yeah well uh, we will look forward to see the ups and the downs of this new uh this this new uh season this has been a good episode man glad to have you back i know you got some travels up ahead uh, we're excited about everything that, that Prack is building. You've been dropping some YouTube too, a little bit, messing back. Dude, around. I've been playing so much Dark and Darker, uh, dropping like shorts every day. If you guys want to get a good laugh and watch some sweaty gameplay, go check it out. Uh, YouTube's actually doing really well for having a dead channel, getting my videos back up to like a couple thousand views is pretty nice, you know, in, in what I feel like is a short period of time, two weeks. So I'm happy about it. Some of the shorts are hitting. Some of the subs are starting to uh, reel back in. Um, yeah, it's it's good times, man. Being a being a creative, never gonna stop. But John, with the where can the people find you uh, throughout the weeks? I mean, John W Key Rush on X. Yeah, say hello. All right, boys, and you can send all your complaints to me at Monster D Face uh, on X as well. <laughs> I'll be there. I probably won't respond, but I'll see him. We'll we'll make adjustments. We'll continue to be here for you week to week. Uh, to John's point, I will be traveling for the FNCS Global Championship. Then there's TwitchCon. So you get a month of us and then a little bit of a rocky couple weeks. But we'll try to pre-prep some content, cook some stuff for y'all, and uh, keep y'all busy. But until next time, don't forget to dance out those kills and boost and those victory else. I need to come up with a new slogan for this, by the way. Okay, podcast listeners? Yeah, you got put suggestions, it in the comments. Let us know. Hit me with it if you got any come to this. But peace, guys.